0: Thanks Adam. Uh, Let me add my welcome to that of Adam's. It is good to be with you. Good to see everyone here and it's good to be back in Exodus as we get into the swing of our autumn term. So please do open your Bible to Exodus chapter 2 as we get stuck back into this epic story of God's salvation. We're going to be looking from chapter 2 verse 11 to verse 25. I wonder if you recognize these lyrics. Where have all the good men gone, and where are all the gods? Where is the streetwise Hercules to fight the rising odds? Isn't there a white knight upon a fiery steed? Late at night I toss and turn, and I dream of what I need. I need a hero. Well done. Three years before I was born, that song came out. And as we entered chapter 2 last week, We're introduced to what seems to be the hero of our great Exodus story, Baby Moses. It was set against the bleak background of chapter one, where where Israel are in this hard slavery. There's infanticide of the human babies, the Hebrew babies, at the hands of Pharaoh. We met a mother and a father so desperate that they would put their newborn, their little baby boy, into a, a little basket onto the river Nile. And we thought about the fragility of that baby in that basket, kept by God. And then he exoduses from the water, and he's brought into Pharaoh's very own family. And whether you've read this story a hundred times, or this is your first time going through it, you know he's got to be the hero, right? He's Moses, the little Hebrew boy who survived the, the genocide. He is him, as the kids say these days. He's been placed in the palace, no doubt, to accomplish big things. Surely, he is the hero that we need. Let's read the next part of the story. If we look down at verse number 11 through to verse 25, this is what the Word of God says. One day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. When he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. And he said to the man in the wrong, why do you strike your companion? He answered, who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, surely the thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came and drew water and filled the trough to water their father's flock. The shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and saved them and watered their flock. When they came home to their father, Ruel, he said, how is it that you have come home so soon today? They said, an Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds and even drew water for us and watered the flock. He said to his daughters, then where is he? Why have you left the man? Call him that he may eat bread. And Moses was content to dwell with the man And he gave Moses his daughter Zipporah. She gave birth to a son. And he called his name Jersum, For he said, I have become a sojourner in a foreign land. During those many days, the king of Egypt died. And the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. And God heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew, amen. Now as we pick up the narrative back in verse number 11, not only is Moses the baby who has survived, but he's now the man who has thrived. He's been schooled in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. He's confident, he's competent. Just think of the skill and the experience he would have gained over decades in and around Pharaoh's court. He's described in the New Testament in Acts chapter 7 at this stage in his life as being mighty in words and deeds. He's got to be strong, he's got to be fast, he's got to be fresh from the fight. Tick, tick, tick. And what's more, he didn't turn his back on his fellow Hebrew slaves. Did you notice in verse number 11, it says, One day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew one of his people. It refers twice to his people. And unlike most of us who grow up in relative ease and find it possible to avoid those less fortunate than ourselves, Moses wasn't shutting himself off in the palace grounds. He knew the injustice that was going on outside, the suffering and the burden of slavery his people were under. And again, in Acts chapter seven, Stephen reminds us in his sermon there that, that Moses knew that the people needed deliverance and he recognized that there was a role for him to play in that. So what's he gonna do? He's 40 years old, it's time to get moving. Well, the text doesn't say explicitly if Moses planned for what happened next, but nor does it say that it was purely an act of passion and violent anger. But the text says that Moses saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew. He looked this way and that. Before he took matters into his own hands, he killed the slave master and buried him in a shallow, sandy grave. So what now, Moses? What's the plan? Or was that a rush of blood to the head? Either, either way, things quickly begin to unravel. The very people he thinks might follow him, that might galvanize behind him, they have no desire for another leader like that. He quickly backs down. As Pharaoh gets wind of it, he realizes he's stuck between a rock and a hard place. Our hero Moses, like a scalded cat, runs for his life. He loses his home, he loses his privilege, he loses his position. Any ideas of leadership, of delivering the people squashed as he runs for the wilderness. It's like a false start at the beginning of the race. Whatever Moses was trying to do, it was over before it had even gotten started. And we no longer have this man who is mighty in words and deeds, sprightly, ambitious, well-connected young leader. We have a man on the run to the back end of nowhere. And of course, the slavery of the people continues, harsh and unaffected. It's significant how he is first identified in Midian. The girls that he meets at the well, they come back to their dad. I wonder if you noticed in verse number 19, they refer to him as an Egyptian. And of course, based on his dress, on his accent, Perhaps, on the surface, he would have been identified as an Egyptian. But there's a profounder way in which Moses has been identified as an Egyptian here. And that is, his initial instinct to save his people was to defend them by force. That's what he had learned in the court of Pharaoh. Whatever his plan was, or if it wasn't a plan, it was just strength and power It was Egyptian thinking, Egyptian methods, and he was Egyptian in how he thought he could potentially be a rescuer. And as I read this chapter of the story, I was reminded of this meme. Anybody from my generation might remember this. When Obi-Wan Kenobi fights with Anakin Skywalker, he yells, You were the chosen one! It was said that you would destroy the Sith, not join them, And I feel like saying this to Moses. You were supposed to be the deliverer of the people from Egypt. Not try and become like an Egyptian in your methods. And now his behavior has backfired. And Moses has become so committed to a life in hiding. 40 years in hiding. That he calls his firstborn Jerusalem, For he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. No more house." of an Egyptian princess, no more family among the Hebrews. It feels like a lonely fall to rock bottom. All ambition gone. Our hero stumbled, fallen to obscurity. But I wonder if you noticed that we have three scenes in our narrative. We have scene number one, Moses in Egypt. We then have scene number two, Moses fleeing to Midian. It's like this tragedy where our hero has fallen. But did you notice there's a third scene at the very end of our passage, verse 23? It's as if the camera follows Moses and then pans back to give us this wider view. Because this wider view in verse 23, 24, and 25, that's where we see the throne. Of God. You see, in the first two scenes, there are 16 verbs, 14 of which are Moses doing something. Now listen to the contrast in our final scene. Who is it that starts to act? During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. And God heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel. And God knew. There's a purposeful mirroring of the language as the story is told to us. Yes, Moses had grown up. Moses had went out. Moses had seen the people's burdens. But but that didn't work out so well. But now it's God who has heard. It's God who has remembered. It is God who saw. It is God who knew. Now the language is not saying, oh, God hadn't been listening or he had forgotten and now he's just remembered. But it's structured this way to, to stress that God is now readying for action. It's it's battle stations, if you like, in heaven. He is going to come now to rescue. And and the timing is deliberate. Our hero Moses is gone. He's scrabbling around in in the desert, hiding from the mission and the responsibility. But this is the moment when God suits up, when he prepares to step in, because he is the true hero that we need. You see, Moses isn't the true hero of this Exodus story. He will not alone be able to accomplish the salvation of God's people. Moses' attempt totally failed anyway. His show of force did nothing in winning the hearts of the Hebrews to follow him. But where Moses fails, God is about to succeed with completely different methods, We're going to see Moses do incredible feats as we follow through the story of Exodus. But the narrator wants us to get this up front. It's God who is the true savior of his people. He is the true hero of the story. And that's the big message for us this morning as we look at this passage. The Exodus story shows us time and time again that we cannot be the savior of our own soul. We cannot be... The hero of our story. As it was true of the rescue for Exodus, it is true for us today. God is the true savior that we need. And that's one of the hardest things to accept. We're all hardwired to want to achieve our own salvation. Most religions across the world are built on the concept that you can be the hero with the right teaching, with the right self-help, the right guru, the right discipline. You can pull yourself up. That's what most religions say. And even secular voices say the same thing. We have to do better, be better, more education, more technology, more advancement. And if you're not a Christian here this morning, I particularly want you to, to grasp this bit. But we need all to hear this. The central point of the Exodus story, of the biblical story, is that you cannot save yourself. Not Moses, not you, not me. You see, the Bible has the guts to say that the problem is too big. It's too deep, it's too severe, it's too serious. We simply just can't do better. And if you try, that expectation will crush you. We aren't able to right all wrongs. We aren't able to break the bonds and the slavery and addictions of sin and of darkness. We can't even meet our own expectations, let alone the moral standards of God. We need a Savior. And the good news of the Bible, as we see in the Exodus story, is that the gospel is effective because it is God's message of his rescue. Where Moses failed... Jesus Christ did not. Jesus came similarly in the weakness and fragility of a little baby like we thought about last week. He also grew in wisdom and strength into manhood, a bit like Moses. But when he was faced with the powers of darkness, the penalty of sin and death and hell, he did not run away. He, the very Son of God, hung on a cross And absorbed all the consequences of our sin so that he can offer us a real, a proper rescue from outside ourselves that takes away the penalty of sin and saves us from its power. But it's hard to admit that you need a rescue. But boy is it liberating. So the story of the Exodus forces us to ask ourselves the question this morning, are we depending on God as our Savior, or are we still trying to do it ourselves? We can't, but praise God through Jesus Christ, he can. I wonder how often Moses, sitting in those desert years, replayed the events in his head Had he squandered the opportunity, how dumb had he been? What would happen is people left in Egypt enslaved under Pharaoh's whip. But our final scene shows us that God was getting ready to step in. And what a difference is the scene 40 years later as Moses stands on the far side of the Red Sea with the nation around and beside him? And he sings, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, he has become my salvation. This is my God. The Lord is a man of war, the Lord is his name. What a song Moses could sing 40 years later. He had learnt there was no other name that he needed but the name of the Lord Jesus, the name of the Lord. The Lord was his man of war, the true hero, his strength and his song. Believer, is that the song of your life or are you still trying to achieve your own salvation? Is your song one of wallowing in your lack of ability or is it rejoicing in the grace that you have received in Christ? So firstly, God is the true hero we need. He delivers from sin and slavery and he invites us into an intimate relationship with himself. That is the Exodus story. But secondly, I want to return to, to Moses in the wilderness. Despite the first lesson being that Moses is not the ultimate hero, we can't but help but notice he definitely has some really good points, doesn't he? he you notice the repeated instinct in each of the, s- the scenes for, for him to step in and to rescue, both in Egypt and also in Midian. Look at the latter in verse oops, 16 to 17. Now, the priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came and drew water and filled the troughs to water their father's flock. The shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and saved them and watered their flock. This is his first recorded action, and really most of the action that we know about what happened in those 40 years. He stands up and fights off these shepherds who came to the well looking for trouble, And he provided water for these seven ladies and their family's flock. I mean, that's pretty admirable, isn't it? And in each scene, even in Egypt, there is something good and righteous about his desire. He won't stand idly by while he sees the vulnerable being hurt. And unlike the incident in Egypt, here in the desert, his intervention brings about a joyful outcome. Future father-in-law is very impressed. That's always good. Uh, Zipporah plays it oh so cool, leaving Moses back at the well. But anyway, one thing leads to another boy meets girl, marriage, etc., babies, and it works out pretty well. And despite his mistakes, it, it does feel like there's a foreshadowing here of Moses' future role, doesn't it? it, it he's going to be the deliverer and the leader eventually. And we see in him the instinct and the character of a man that God is preparing to step up and to lead righteously in time. And just like David learned to be the greatest king of Israel by first leading his father's sheep, so too Moses will learn the lessons required in the wilderness. He will, again, defend the helpless against the cruel abuser, the people and Pharaoh. He will use his own shepherd's staff to fight. And again, he will bring water to the people in the wilderness. So we can see that despite this being a sort of messy time in his life and a passage that is often classed as one of his failures, it seems like there was a mix of godly, instinct, maybe naive ambition, that led to him being in the wilderness. But one thing's for sure, his time in the wilderness was not a mistake. And is it not also the same for us, that when we look back over our experience, no matter how short or how long it has been, it's not a seamless, perfect story. It's been complicated, messy and at times confusing, but God is working out his promises in the life of Moses. You know, I can imagine when Moses first got the idea into his head that he had a role to play in the deliverance of his people. I can imagine him thinking through, well, you know, I've got these incredible connections, my circumstances in the palace, I have all this experience and training, you know, I'm I'm equipped, I'm gifted, I'm, I'm I'm ready. It's unlikely that he thought he would require four decades shepherding sheep in a wilderness. But that's exactly what was required. And of course, none of us welcome a wilderness experience. It's hard. It was hard for Moses too. But it's not until he's 80 years old that the Lord has Moses where he can use him to achieve his greatest work for the kingdom of God. Whatever his mistakes and character flaws, the grace of God was transforming him into arguably the greatest leader in ancient history. And and sort of looking back now, it's actually quite obvious, right? Moses experienced an exodus out of Egypt into the wilderness and had a blazing encounter with the living God. And and given that he had lived that out in his own life, then he was properly equipped to take the nation and exodus them out of Egypt into the wilderness to have a blazing encounter with the living God. You see, God's preparation is often quiet and hidden It's often wilderness-type experience. But just as he did in Moses, he builds into us a confidence, an experience of his sovereign care and his goodness so that then we can take on and tackle battles in the future. Then we can encourage others and support others as Moses did. You see, we're tempted, aren't we, to avoid wilderness experience or if that's where we are, sort of wish the time away. Yet it is often where God refines this messy mixture of godly instinct and selfish ambition. It's often where we see him and can experience him more clearly. Wilderness Experience or wilderness times, times when circumstances seem barren and our, and our hearts feel empty, it's often where we realize what it is we really desire and what it is we really need. It's an opportunity to live out what we say we believe. It's an opportunity to meet with God and then to be a help to others who are coming along behind and what we see with Moses is it's never too late perhaps you feel like you've been in the wilderness for many years well if you're here this morning then God has not finished with you yet as we're going to see next week in chapter three we're going to be invited to stand face to face with the Lord as he discloses himself I am who I am I wonder if through your experience you can look back and you can say, I have come to know the Lord as the unchangeable, eternal, promise-keeping Father. Perhaps you can sing heartily that verse of amazing grace. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Tis grace has brought me safe this far and grace will lead me home. Well, if so then, whatever your age or stage, every one of us has an experience of God's grace that we can in turn turn and encourage others with, particularly experiences in the harder times. Just like Moses became instrumental in the hands of God, the true savior, the true hero, to bring others from slavery into intimate fellowship with God. So perhaps you can help a child in CK see God's character in a very simple way. Perhaps you can help a teen in CY or in Rally to see God's attractiveness when the pressure is starting to mount from the world. Perhaps you can help a student see Jesus for the first time Perhaps you can help a young adult stand strong against the pressure of the slavery of the Egypt, the world around us. Whoever it might be, young, old, married, single, widow, widower, it's never too late to take your experience of the goodness and grace of God and do a Moses. Share it with one another And bring them to know God better. So, as we conclude, the big idea of our passage this morning, I guess, is that Moses had to have a personal experience of humbling and redemption at the hands of God before leading the national journey of God's redemption. And he learned that God is the true hero we need and that the wilderness experience equips us to support others, support one another along the journey. So let's not lose our spiritual ambition with age. It's the final third that we're about to go into of Moses' life, that where he saw the greatest fruit. So as we close, may it be that whatever days or weeks or years the Lord has for us, that they will be given over to pointing to the true hero and encouraging others to get to know the God who delivers the true hero that we need. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we praise you this morning that what we consider in your word is the gospel of God. It is your gospel. It is your good news of how you have stepped in to deliver us a helpless and estranged creation. We pray that as we consider the great epic story of your exodus, your salvation of your people in the Old Testament, it will speak to our hearts of what we have in your good news of and what we have in the Lord Jesus. So we pray that your word would find good soil in our hearts as we commit ourselves to the work of your spirit for the glory of the Lord Jesus, amen.